Hi, Sacred Tension fans. My name is Matt Langston, and I play in a band called Eleventy Seven. I'm an artist, a producer, and I also host my own podcast right here on Rock Candy called Eleventy Life. We talk with the people behind your favorite songs and albums, from the writers to the producers and everyone in between. And we're not asking your favorite artists the same old boring questions like where did your band name come from and who's your favorite Friends character. We're asking questions like why did your marriage fail? Where does love come from? Is God real? It is a show about the importance of creativity and pursuing your passions. And we don't let guests leave until it gets a little bit uncomfortable. So check it out right here on Rock Candy and your favorite podcast app. And I left that institution thinking, I'm not going to deal with these people anymore. I am letting go of that. I'm moving to the Caribbean. I'm graduating from Harvard. I'm doing my own thing. But the reality is, is that when I continue to hear stories of sexual harassment, racial harassment, gender harassment, sexual orientation harassment from my alma mater, that's the Christian leader in the nation, that's the top evangelical school, so they want to say, then I'm going to call them on that. This is Sacred Tension, the podcast about the spiritual discipline of asking questions. My name is Stephen Bradford Long, and we are here on the Rock Candy Podcast Network. For more shows like this one, go to rockcandyrecordings.com. Well, before we get started, I have a couple of pieces of housekeeping. As usual, first, we are still growing the Rock Candy Podcast Network. We already have some amazing shows on board. We have Bible Bash, we have Bubble and Squeak, we have Sacred Tension, we have Eleventy Life, and we are bringing on more shows. And if you want to be among their number, I would love to hear your pitch. If you are working on a show or you are thinking of starting one, please send me an email. You can find me at rockcandyrecordings.com. Just send your pitch there through the contact form. And I cannot wait to hear what ideas you have for your show. We're trying to create a community that is kind, that is generous, that is curious, that brings goodness and joy and curiosity to the world, less animosity, more weirdness, and we want good sound quality in the process. And in return for joining the network, you get access to our community of creators. You get access to professional consultation from the Rock Candy Studio. You get our entire backlog of music to use however you want, wherever you want in your show. And you, of course, get a community of creators to lift you up and to promote your work and vice versa. So if that sounds interesting to you, please reach out to me. And second, this show is only possible with your support. I already work full-time. I'm a yoga teacher as well. I am hustling. I am an impoverished millennial. I really need all the money I can get. And I am a believer in bringing my work to the world for free. I am a believer in bringing these conversations to you for free. Uh, and if you want to help me do that, then please go to patreon.com forward slash Stephen Bradford Long. And for a dollar a month or $5 a month, you will get extra content, including the weekly patrons-only podcast called The House of Heretics, in which my assistant Justin and I drink coffee and have very unedited conversations about all the things that are going on in the world that week, from religious news to climate change to political stuff to pop culture. We talk about pretty much on everything under the sun. So if that interests you, and if you want to see this show continue to have a long life, please go support me on Patreon. If you are financially tight, I completely understand. No worries. The most important way you can support this show is to continue to listen to it and enjoy it because it is here for your enjoyment listen to it and share it with friends well this week i am in this is kind of an emergency podcast because there is like this is very last minute and i'm going to try to push this to release next monday because this is kind of a time sensitive thing but i'm having melissa wilson back onto the show melissa thank you so much yeah thanks for having me so longtime listeners will remember you as our resident biologist <laughs> talking about leaving the evangelical world that was like a year or two ago it was a great yep. show actually it's Interestingly, your show and Timothy Wilde's are the most listened to. Um, Interesting. Yeah, like they constantly are most listened to.
listened to still. Two ex-evangelicals. Two ex-evangelicals. Really. Yeah, yep. yeah. And so also you have just recently graduated from Harvard with your degree in Remind Me. Yeah, it's a master's in extension study. So it's okay. a liberal arts degree and its focus is in sustainability. That's awesome. And Yeah. It is. And I worked on national park expansions and on mm. connectivity of uh, protected areas. So trying to, you know, we're losing biodiversity. Um, yes. And we know that we're, because of humans, we are probably going to lose about 1 million species. And so my work is to try and make that species loss not happen. That, you know, I would actually really love to have you back on to talk about that in particular. Because yeah, it's been, it. yeah, let's do it because it's been uh giving me nightmares. It's been devastating me, that recent UN report. And so maybe we can talk about that at some point. I would absolutely love that. That is not what we're here to talk about today. <laughs> let's um, stay on track today. <laughs> let's stay on track got... today. We have so much. Every time we talk, there's like there's so much to talk about. So when I was on your show last, I talked about my daughter, Sarah, that was adopted from foster care. And I talked yes. a lot about how because her because she was different than other people, that she was kind of a mirror to me about the evangelical church not loving well. And I kept thinking, if here I'm doing everything Jesus asked me to do, I'm adopting the orphan, I'm hanging out with a prostitute, like her mom was a prostitute. So I'm not hanging out with her mom, but I'm taking care of that baby. We're making sure a baby's not being aborted, right? So I'm doing everything that the evangelical world is telling me to do. And the church is not loving her well. And I'm putting her in Christian school and she's getting made fun of. And she doesn't feel comfortable. There's nobody for her to sit mm. with. There's nobody for her to talk with. And when I talk to people about it, they say, oh, it takes some time. And I'm sitting there going, no, it doesn't need to take any time because with Jesus, it didn't take any time. Exactly. Right? Immediately, people were loved by him. Well, one of the things I couldn't say back then, two years ago, was that my daughter was gay. And the reason why I couldn't say that is because she wasn't ready to tell her story. And mm -hmm. that timing of coming out, as you know, has to be your own. And she was not ready to come out. And the, one of the major reasons why she was not ready to come out is because we were in an evangelical community that was very judgy. And I probably had been judgmental as well. And the reason why I know that I had been judgmental is because one day I came home from teaching science class and she was shaking and she was foaming at the mouth and her eyes were jittery. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. It was like this like disconnect. Mm. And all of a sudden I started looking around and it was like my mind started piecing together all the clues, Stephen, and there were pills and bottles everywhere. Oh no. And I, my mind was trying to put together what was happening. And I was thinking, was she trying to get high? And I came home early. Like I, I was coming through all these things. And I realized in the moment, all I needed to do was just get her to the hospital. I just needed to get her to the hospital. So I drive her to the hospital. We get her admitted. And we basically find out that she had overdosed on handfuls of all sorts of different things. And it took us about a day to figure out why. And so as her mom, I was thinking through, well, men, maybe she has a mental health disorder. Maybe she, a friend told her to do this. Maybe she's skittling. Maybe kids experiment, right? going through all these things. Well, it took her about 48 hours to tell us that she was gay and that she knew that her parents wouldn't love her because we were evangelical Christians. And she knew that her Christian school would never accept her. And she knew where I worked at Montreat that she would never be able to be on campus. Hmm. That's how she felt, whether or not that's true or not. I feel like now after hearing all of these different people's stories, it's true. Yeah. And so I had this really critical faith moment where basically it was like, well, if this is true, if she's gay and she feels so committed to that, that she'd rather end her life, then maybe it's me that needs to change because you know what? God saved her. Like the big thing is that she was born cocaine addicted with a prostitute mother and that mom loved enough to save her. That mom could have adopted, that mom could have aborted her, but she didn't. Mm -hmm. And then it came to me like, well, are you going to deny your child? Are you going to abort her out of your life? You're the only family she's ever known. Is that what you're going to do? Is mm -hmm. that Christian? Mm -hmm. Is that what Christ would do? Abort her with, with the beliefs, abort with her the with, beliefs. with the yeah, culture, with yeah, the beliefs. Yeah, I mean, that's yes. what it is because if, it is. If I, it absolutely yeah, is. I, if I'm denying her from being a part of my family, she's going to kill herself. She's already proven that, mm -hmm. right? Abort is to get rid of. That's what that word means. Yeah. 
Yeah. So you've been so, holding on to this story. Yeah. For this whole time. And, Correct. And now with all of the stuff that's coming out that that you are exposing about. So let me just back up and, and give some background. We are talking about uh, we mm, how do I want to say this? So we are discussing the experience that you and many others had at my alma mater, which is Montreat College. And uh, that is where you taught for many years. You were my professor there. Uh, yep. for a short time and you know I was in your biology class for a year or two and you know this isn't and, and for listeners who are not aware that Montreat even exists which will be most of them I would l- encourage you to resist the idea that this is just a tempest in a teapot that this is just a, a little you know blip a little scandal happening at a tiny little mountain college that no one gives a fuck about it's a lot more than that because this is a microcosm and what mel here has been talking about and has been exposing online that we are going to be getting into momentarily what we are discussing is indicative of evangelical christian culture as a whole the stuff that is going on at Montreat College is stuff that is going on across the evangelical landscape. And so this is a microcosm that represents a huge, huge problem of abuse and patriarchy and covering up and all kinds of bullshit. Yeah. And and they are a leader. First of all, they say that they are the only Christian college in North Carolina, which is not true. Which is there's Methodist, <laughs> there's Methodist colleges, and there's Presbyterian, and, and there's Catholic colleges. And Episcopalian. Car- yeah. And Episcopalian. But they believe that they're the only Christian college in North Carolina. But not only that, they are in the heart of Ruth and Billy Graham's hometown. Yes. And Franklin Graham lives in that town as well. So if we're talking about Whoa, I Franklin Graham lives here? Yeah. I still live that? in Montreat. I did not know that he lives here. <laughs> so I'm practically are, neighbors with Franklin Graham. <laughs> so they are the leaders of the evangelical world. Yes, they are. Okay. So what they do matters, just like what Liberty University, which is the university that I feel like is a total scam that is about taking evangelical kids' money and, yes. and indoctrinating them and having President Trump come and speak at graduation for real. Like the biggest Christian college that we're seeing right now is having President Trump come speak at it for commencement. What is that? Yeah. Right. So what we're talking about is a small Christian liberal arts school in the mountains. That's a leader in Christ centered education. So they say and what by their own admission. Yes. By their own admission. And what I'm saying back is that they trained me for undergrad and for grad school. And what I'm really lucky about is that was all under a different administration. And that previous administration was really into lots of different types of Christians. So we had gay Christians, we had straight yes. Christians, we had Catholic Christians, we had Episcopalian Christians, we had Bohemian Christians, which I am. We had all these different people coming together. And now that is not the case. They want evangelical Christians. And in mm. doing that, my daughter, who didn't go to school there, was getting the messaging that she was not accepted and she was so unaccepted that she might as well abort herself, right? She might as well Absolutely. get rid of herself. Yeah. And that would be better than being gay and being in that community. Yeah. You know, that I, was the message that she got. It, it was. And it's the message that so many people continue to get. And I mean, this is why there are times when people, when people are like, you know, Stephen, you get really bent out of shape over this stuff. You know, why don't you just calm down? And I'm like, this is a war over lives. And I know it doesn't look that way from a distance to a lot of people. You know, like I I know it doesn't look that way. But OK, so I know your daughter. She's incredible. She worked under me at a, at a local grocery store. We I worked with her for about a year. She was absolutely yep. wonderful and incredible. And it breaks my heart hearing that story because yeah. I've I've been there and I and I wish that we can work towards a world where that kind of pain is completely unnecessary. Yeah. And I will tell you that in the last, so we can go into this, I guess, next, is that the reason why she wanted to tell her story is because she's 18 and she just graduated from high school. So now she feels like she's an adult and she can say her story out loud and she feels confident that she is gay. Yes. Right. And she feels like, all right, I'm, I'm a, a woman going out into the world and I need to tell the world about this. 
That's the first thing. The second thing is, is that we continually hear about students that were at Montreat before or students that are at Montreat now that I used to know that are gay, Hispanic, Black, or women, or transgender, or binary, or not sure, we are continuing to hear that they're being discriminated, harassed, and hurt. And that is unacceptable. It is completely and totally unacceptable. And we're hearing that women that work at that college, the same thing. And we're hearing that Hispanics, there's hardly any Hispanics left. I think there's one person that's Hispanic left. Yeah. And I think there's maybe one or two people that are African-American or black left, depending, you know, where I live in the Caribbean, they, my friends like to be called black. They do not like to be called African-American. So I forget in the States, sure. probably African-American. <laughs> um, but that is really, really horrid. It is. It's horrid. And I left that institution thinking, I'm not going to deal with these people anymore. I am letting go of that. I'm moving to the Caribbean. I'm graduating from Harvard. I'm doing my own thing. But the reality is, is that when I continue to hear stories of sexual harassment, racial harassment, gender harassment, sexual orientation harassment Mm. from my alma mater, that's the Christian leader in the nation, Mm -hmm. it's the top evangelical school, so they want to say, then I'm going to call them on that. Absolutely. I'm calling them that. Yeah. Absolutely. And could you share some of, so I love the level of intensity and anger that you bring to this because I think that's necessary. <laughs> this, is, this is new for me, Stephen. It's great. I, hit, I love I hit it. A little, I hit a little boiling point this year because, uh, yeah. We have to. I mean, you yeah. know, I was just talking on my other show on Patreon about how, you know, so many of these emotions that we so often want to avoid, they're necessary sometimes and we have to embrace them sometimes. And there's a time and a place for them. And I think that this is definitely definitely a time for for these, you know, intense emotions. Could you talk some about your experience at Montreat? What yeah. what did you know, you've been going public with all of these stories of what happened to you at Montreat? Could you tell some of that to the audience? And by the way, um, so let me just let the audience know real fast. You have an extraordinary blog called The Eco Theologist, which I will be linking. I will awesome. also be featuring it on my blog um, later this week before this show comes out. I have, however, I I chose not to read it because I wanted to have this conversation fresh, right? Cool. So, but I want everyone to go read the blog after listening to this. Awesome. Awesome. So something, okay. So I was 18 and I moved to the Hills of North Carolina to go to school. I had, I become a Christian at 16. And I think we went over this on our last podcast was that I became a Christian because I'm a question asker and you start asking questions to the universe. And there are certain questions that can be asked by answered by science. And there are certain questions that get answered by spirituality. And the evangelicals were the ones that very easily gave me answers that were clear cut and simple. And when you're 16 years old, you really like that. And they're not messy. It's not like, hey, come walk with me. Come follow me like Jesus did. And I'll teach you over time. It's kind of like, hey, this is how this works. This is how this works. This is how marriage works. This is how, you know, this is how getting a job works. They had very clear cut answers for everything. So I ended up at Montreat College, which was actually a Presbyterian university. What I loved about it was there was a lot of questioning, there was a lot of reading, and there was a lot of studying. And there was a lot of talking with one another. We had small groups. It was a really beautiful time where I felt like I was really being formed spiritually by lots of different types of people and lots of mediums. One thing that was happening to me pretty repeatedly is that I had a professor that would continually make comments about how beautiful I was, make comments about my body, the way that I walked, my hair. Uh, This is when you were a student there. When I was a student. Okay. And he would do that to a lot of people. It wasn't just me. And so now was I, this one particular professor or several? It was it was one particular professor for me. And so I didn't really I'm 18 years old. I'm a new Christian. I'm new to academia. I don't know that that's weird. It's 1997. Like <laughs> it's a long time ago. And um I would ask my friends about it and they'd just be like, "Yeah, me too," right? Mm-hmm. And so it was just kind of one of those things. And later on, 4 years later, I got married. And I would tell my husband 
that about this person, but I would also tell them about other men in the community. And these were all Christian men. So we would go to church and I knew that there were certain things that I could not wear to church. I could not wear a dress to church because I'm a Latin woman and Latin women are curvy and we have a curvy walk. And I could not wear a dress to church because men would comment on my body. And yeah, imagine going to church and you're trying to like concentrate on God and be pure. And some guy has said how hot your something looks. And you're People just at like, church would literally say that? Yes. Jesus Christ. Yes. Like, and they'd be like, you'd walk up and they'd be like, ooh, girl, I'm glad you wore that today. What do and you say to that? Like, I'm not- going to church. That's awful. <laughs> yeah. That's terrible. Yeah. Terrible. And the stuff that's been said to me in academia, you know, I was just at a science conference and I met these two new ecologists. And this one guy said, oh, you should take her out in the field, meaning in the science field, like we're going to go out and do research together. And the uh-huh. other guy says, yeah, I would like that, but I think she's married. Uh-huh. That's so not okay. Right. That's You're at a science disgusting. conference. Okay. You, yeah. You, just, you know what I'm saying? So this is my life experience, Stephen. Like awful. I'm a Latin woman and this is what happens to me. So I'm telling my husband these things and he's like, oh yeah, that's, you know, I, I would say like, you know, today at work, so-and-so said my butt looks good in these pants. And he goes, well, you do have a nice ass, right? Mm-hmm. My husband didn't realize it was wrong either because we were living in such a patriarchal society where men were in charge of women according to the scripture. And men are entitled. They are entitled to that kind of objectification. And women have to be virgins to marry those men. Right. Because we will be totally shamed if we're not. Yep. But I will tell you that every guy that I dated was not a virgin. Oh, and yeah. all my friends and all my friends were. Absolutely. So how did that work out? <laughs> they were going with non-Christian women <laughs> and then marrying us. We got screwed in this. <laughs> yep. Right. So so all this to realize my husband and I are both not realizing this is wrong. OK, so I don't have literally, Stephen, for for 19 years, I'm in this community. I go to an undergrad. I go teach a little bit in another school. I come back. I go to it for grad school. It's happening to me at church. It's happening to me at downtown. It's happening to me all the time. And what I did was say, I must be dressing wrong. I must cut my hair because men seem to love Latin women's hair. They comment about it all the time or they touch it. And I probably should just like comfort myself with food. So I started doing all those things, gained 30 pounds, and I really thought it would change. It never changed. They kept commenting. My entire life, it's been this way. And so I'm now 37 or so, and I enroll in Harvard, and I start taking all these classes, and I'm learning about boundaries. Like, there's a lot of things they teach you at Harvard about, like, hey, when you're online and you're talking to one another and you're debating... It's the Agora, so it's the marketplace, and it's the place the public sphere where we have these debates, but this is how you debate with telling your opinion in a kind way. This is how, when you greet someone from a different culture, you ask them if you can shake their hand, because some of my friends don't shake hands. They don't touch each other. It's not religiously appropriate. It's not culturally appropriate. They definitely would not hug each other, right? Because we have people at Harvard from all around the globe. So we're getting all this training on how to interact with one another, how to interact with someone that's maybe like, like doesn't know what their doesn't, doesn't have, hasn't picked a gender. I'm I'm not saying doesn't know what their gender is because they haven't picked a gender. They're, they're gender fluid. You know, like, what do you do with that? So no one has ever taught me this stuff before. And I'm sitting there like going, wait a minute, these things that are happening to me that have always made me feel squirmy, that always made me feel bad, they're wrong. Hmm. Yeah. I'm sure that was a huge wake up moment. It was. And yeah. we call it coming out of the Montreat bubble because you live in yes. Appalachia yes. and you live in this cove and everybody goes to church together on Sunday and then you work five days a week with those people. So you have six days a week yep. that you're around the same group of a thousand people that all have the exact same views and you're all reading the same Bible every single morning because you have to pick the same version of that Bible, right? Yeah. You know, what you're saying here is so fascinating because I, you know, I just turned 31. So I am firmly in adult territory now, whether whether I like it or not. But I feel like my adult life, it can be summed up in, you know, if there is like one theme of my adult life, it was, wow, that shit I was raised with was not normal. And having to go through life and learn that and and unlearn all that 
stuff and yeah. and ways that I perpetuated it and ways it damaged me and ways other people perceived it and all of that and and just realizing wow I was a very dysfunctional person in part because I didn't know this was wrong. I didn't know yeah. the way I was hurting other people. I didn't know how deeply damaging this evangelical culture was to me. And yeah, so that yep. that has been, I, I feel like it will probably be a lifelong process for me because mm -hmm. I was so deep in it. And, you know, with my family and my church and all that stuff, I, I was so, so deep in it. And um, so I relate so hard to everything you're saying right yeah. now. Yeah, in my own way, in my own masculine gay yeah, way. Yeah, you get, yeah. you know, so, but yeah, no, absolutely, no. Uh, yeah, I think a lot of people can relate to it because when I wrote out this experience, everyone's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm getting, I'm responding to right now, uh, they've slowed down a little bit today. No, mm. actually they haven't, they picked up today. <laughs> uh, they slowed down yesterday. I respond to about 20 emails a day oh from this last week of what I've been saying on my blog. And yes. so this last week, what, what happened, so what happened after that experience of being a year at Harvard was me realizing that this person that had been saying to this stuff to me for at that time, 19 years, that I needed to confront them. And that's not a fun thing to do because they're your friend and you've kind of built this relationship that's joking and you don't really know how to stop it. So I went to them first and they understood, but I also kind of did it in a like, hey, when you do that, it kind of bothers me. It wasn't like a strong, like, I don't want you talking to me like that anymore, right? Mm -hmm. And they were making fun of me, not just about being a woman and my body, but also about being Hispanic and also about voting for Hillary, okay? And so I, I talked to the person first, maybe three, four times at that time, and it didn't stop. And so I went to my dean and I talked to him and then it didn't stop. And so I went back to the person, talked to him, it didn't stop. I went to my dean and HR, it didn't stop. So I went then, dean and HR went to the person and said, we need to have a meeting with her. And I go into this meeting and I'm thinking I'm getting an apology and I did. And the person, we'll call him a professor, the professor cried and he apologized. And we both said, hey, I really like you. I've known you for 20 years, like we're friends we just can't operate like this anymore, right? Because it's not healthy. It's not good for me. It hurts me, right? So we have this really nice like moment and I think, okay, it's going to be done. And then all of a sudden the dean lets me know that they are not going to have me in the same position they have been having me in. Oh my God. So I'm in a harassment discrimination meeting. Yes. And now I'm told that I'm going to be demoted. Was it because you were being too vocal? because you were being too opposition, quote unquote, oppositional? You know, I can't answer that question. Only the dean can. What I think is so sinister about all this, because at, at the beginning of your story, one thing that stood out to me in what you were saying was that you and this other professor were friends and you liked yes. each other, right? And yes. isn't that and isn't that the way this happens? You know, of course there is horrific abuse that happens that is very antagonistic, that is very violent, but there's also really subtle abuse and it and often in these circles, you know, in these Christian circles and we often don't realize that it's happening because we like the people. And that yeah. just makes it all the more complicated, you know? Yeah. And and it makes it so much harder. And as I'm listening to you talk, it just it brings to mind the you know, some of the experiences that I had when I was at Montreat where I was in a math class and I will not say the professor's name, but I was in a math class and this math professor always did, you know, Bible devotions every Monday for the week. And for that Monday, he took out his Bible and he looked straight at me and he turned his Bible to Romans 1, hmm. which for people who don't know Romans 1, that is the, they exchange, you know, addressing, you know, what a lot of people think is about homosexuality mm -hmm. and saying, you know, they exchanged their natural passions for unnatural ones. And he said, this is, you know, this is clear. This is biblically clear. It is clear that they are exchanging their natural passions for unnatural ones. I'm in the front fucking row. In yeah. this class, in this class that is full. It You're is, going to math. 
Yes. You're going to math. I'm Steven. going to. Let's I'm, talk about that. It's a first. math. It's a fucking math class. And yeah. my friend, I have friends in that other friends from the music department in that classroom. And they are looking at just looking at me furtively, like glancing at me like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is happening. I cannot believe. And the professor was just railing preaching against homosexuality where he knows that I was at the time one of the only out students at the college. I was right there in front of him and right. everyone knew that he was talking about me. Right. And, you know, I didn't know what to do other than to just laugh it off because I there's a certain level of learned helplessness that comes, you know, and I'm sure yeah. you know, I'm sure like you know all about that. Like when someone comes up to you and you're like lecturing and they say, woman, what you doing in here? You should be in the kitchen. Exactly. It's like you don't know what to do. You're like, ha, 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 ha. I'm in front of 40 students teaching them about evolution. OK, bye. Like you don't know what to do. You exactly. Just laugh. And then you've done that for so many years that this person thinks she thinks that's funny. Exactly. And so all of a sudden, 19 years in, and I go, that's not funny, and it hurts me, and it makes me feel bad about being a woman, and I, and it makes me feel bad about my heritage and all these things, and they're totally shocked. And so I guess that's kind of, that's what we went through. And then it's and our then fault. It's our fault that they get offended. It's our fault that we are breaking, you know, regular, you know, behavior or whatever and saying no that's not okay we're calling yeah. them out and i really think that uh you know there's this wider cultural battle over quote-unquote free speech and i yeah. really think you know granted i do think that sometimes the the left can be a bit excessive especially on twitter because twitter makes us all monsters but i think in general right. as a general rule when people on the far right and for people who want to know more if for people who want to listen to entire podcasts about this go listen to my uh, episode called Destroying the Right with Facts and Logic with Ben Burgess. Listen to my show with uh, my two sh episodes with Douglas Lane of Zero Books. Um, and for If you want to get into all the economic theory and, and the far right on the internet and all that kind of bullshit. Okay. <laughs> um, so go check those out. But a lot of the retaliation from people who are quote unquote for free speech is honestly white guys who yep. are not used to being corrected and yep. there is this bitterness there is this rage this because it, it because it breaks the script right it breaks yeah. the script and yeah, i they told me it was academic freedom exactly that what he was saying about Mexicans you were told that so they actually freedom. said that yeah they said in the meeting this is academic freedom for him this to, to racially right. mock you yeah this is his right to be able to tell students how what he feels about the border, what he feels about immigration. And I'm like, actually, no, that's racism. Because what you feel about the border is, hey, we should not be building or we should build a border wall because we have an immigration problem. Right. That's totally different than saying Mexicans are the reason for prostitution and drugs in America. Those are complete. And luckily, I knew that because I went to Harvard. Yes. <laughs> and they taught me how to debate. <laughs> and, <laughs> right. And so like, I'm like, know that wrong anyway so but at that point i really didn't want to work for them anyways my daughter had just tried to commit suicide yeah. i i needed to leave this whole thing but yeah. i couldn't but i could but you're in a you're in a, literally what i would call a shit storm like there's just shit flying all around and you can't see it all like you're just like i just got to get out of here i got to run as far away as i can mm. right mm -hmm. and so so what happened was is i had i went and did another job i just did a local job and i was really lucky that a local school picked me up and let me work for them for a year so i could kind of get my feet under me kind of figure out my life i started applying for jobs around the country i was kind of trying to leave the montreat thing behind but i kept having these follow-up meetings so once i got to my 13th meeting i was like you know what i'm leaving this community packed up my house sold it sold my car, sold everything. I had giant yard sales and I moved to the Caribbean. I moved to an island mm -hmm. and I've literally spent the year here since last August healing. Good. I mean, just healing, soaking in the Caribbean sea. I mean, I go to work every day, but every day I run a tr national park trail. I do yoga. I heal. I don't read the Bible anymore at all. I don't want any part to that. I don't go to church. I just heal. Good. And, and in my healing, I realized that I went, I did all of these meetings and that it's still happening and I couldn't let it go. Yeah. And when this, this last year in January, uh, some of my friends let me know that a case came out at Montreat where five women that are still working there wrote a discrimination and harassment statement 
against the dean. They joined together, all five of them. And HR came in and did analysis of what, if there was really discrimination, harassment. And they came back and said that it's not true. Well, okay, when five women are telling you that they're being discriminated against and harassed, and then seven women that left the year before, which they did not interview us, we're saying the same thing. So that's 12 of us. Once again, that's a biblical number. And <laughs> in, uh, and for a school as small as Montreat, that's a huge number. Yeah, well, there's only 45 faculty. Exactly. Like So that's a quarter of your staff is saying that they're discriminated that they're, against. Exactly. Now, that's just the women, Stephen. Now, we could talk about all the men that would tell you that, too. Absolutely. Right? And the gay but the faculty. Women, yeah. yeah, but the women, yeah, the women band together and said that this is a problem. So I've had this, this in the back of my head. But at the same time, I'm working on mapping protected areas of national parks. I work with the Wilderness Society and I work with a researcher at Harvard. I don't have time to take this sort of thing on. And yeah. not only that, I'm a two-time alumni from that college. All my references for both academics and for teaching are from that institution. Mm-hmm. I've already, when I was a whistleblower before, I got demoted. Yeah. So now I'm a whistleblower. I won't even have a recommendation to go anywhere, right? right? These are all the fears I have in my head. They're not rational fears, but they are fears. So I waited. I graduated from Harvard, which was three weeks ago. Congratulations. A, yes, it was amazing. Huge and, and I won, which is really cool. I won something called the top thesis prize in sustainability. So out of all the students That's that study amazing. sustainability, I, I won the top thesis prize. That's amazing. So, and to think yeah. that Montreat would demote you. Or oh, yeah. In and, any and, way and I wasn't a scientist. <laughs> yeah. And that you weren't a scientist. I mean, I mean, here's and what. I just won the top science award at Harvard. Da, da, exactly. Da, da. I mean, and, and here's, here's what just blows my mind about this is towing the ideological line is more important than compassion, credentials, actual knowledge and wisdom in the field, and and so on. And so, you know, I, I won't tell anyone else's story here. We're just telling yours right now. But right. I know plenty, you know, I, I'm sure you know them too. So many other amazing women and men, but primarily women. Like, let's be honest. It has mostly been women who are extraordinarily brilliant and qualified. Like, you are one of the most amazing people I know, like, for real. Thank you. <laughs> and... And that and that Montreat would just throw them away. Yeah. Well, what was really cool is that I had this really great thesis director with with mapping the national parks and like looking at their connectivity. And his name is Dr. Travis Below, and he's at the Wilderness Society. And I had all of this self doubt in working with him. Right. I'm flying out to Montana. I'm doing all this stuff, and I would have all these questions. And he would say, "You have imposter syndrome really bad." And I would say, "Yeah." And then he was like, "So what's going on with that?" And after like mapping with him for a few days, I got comfortable, and I was like, "Well, let me." can I tell you my story real quick? And I told him my story and his, his line back was what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> That's the only and appropriate I, response. And it was the best. He was like, did you know that you're a Harvard scholar? Yeah. And I was real. like, I was like, yeah. And he was like, and you were two years ago when you were at that institution. I'm like, yeah. And yep. he's like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> over and over again. And it, I just needed it, Stephen, because I had told tons of people this story. Mm. Like, you know, you're out with your girlfriends or whatever. And they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. Or you tell your husband and they're like, and he's like, I'm that sucks. And he's going to be a vigilante with you and go to these meetings and stuff. But to have someone that's in the field of science yes. and literally he's like, he says to me, you're one of the most really brilliant people I know. Absolutely. Not just one of the most brilliant women I know. You're one of the most brilliant people I know. Yes. Do you understand what the fuck? Like he just couldn't comprehend it. Right. Yeah. And then the craziest part about this whole story, Stephen, is that the replacement that they brought in for me. Now he does have to teach some biology labs, but he also gets to teach all the environmental stuff that I was teaching. He has one master's degree. Mm-hmm. I had a master's and a half then. He mm-hmm. had two years teaching experience. I had 17. That's insane. That's but he crazy. has a beard, Stephen. But he has a beard. He's I a mean, really that's, great beard. that's what you needed. <laughs> that's what you needed, girl. You just needed to grow a beard. <laughs> just a beard. But you know what? Oh, my what? God. But so, so I, you know, I, you know, the, that's the one thing about being Latin is you're pretty loud mouth and you tell it like it is. And Absolutely. Maybe, maybe in the South, they don't like that, you know? Well, actually, I know that most people don't like mm-hmm. it. But no. So I finished this Harvard degree three weeks ago. I get done with it. 
And immediately I come back to my island, which I live on St. John, and I went to the Clinton Global Initiative. And the Clinton Global Initiative is a group of people that the Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton brought together to help work on sustainability things in the Caribbean. And I ended up at a table next to Senator Blyden, which is one of the senators of the USVI. And I spent most of the day talking with him about you know, how we could do uh, solar and sustainable energy, renewable energy on island. And I'm literally sitting five feet from Bill Clinton. And then I go into a STEM meeting and everybody asks me tons of questions because I'm doing a lot of really cool stuff with my kids at school in STEM. I'm the STEM coordinator at this small school called Gift Hill. That happens. The next day, I give the Bloomberg Foundation a tour around my campus Mm -hmm. um, to kind of start doing microgrids. And all of a sudden, this light bulb goes in me. And I think, what the fuck? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Like, Travis's words just came back to me, right? Like, all of a sudden, I was like, you're a Harvard grad that's hanging out with the Clintons and the Bloombergs. Montreat, what What the the fuck? fuck? Yes. Yeah. And And, and, yes. And and I couldn't let it go, Stephen. Well, then my friend friend writes me. And she lets me know that she quit Montreat. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and that she was mistreated. Of course. She won't tell me the story because the story is too tender right now. Yeah. And so she just wanted a friend. Of course. So I was her friend. And it brought in me this sense of justice that I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. You can do that to me, but you do not do that to her. And I went public. I went public with everything. I wrote it all out of my blog. I put it out there to the universe. The next day, I asked the president and the dean for an apology. I said, and we're not just, and the reason why I asked for an apology was at first, I just went public. I was just like, I'm just putting it out there and people need to know. I'm just bringing it all to the light because Montreat's pretty cool. Harvard's motto is Veritas, which means truth in Latin. And Montreat is Esse, Esse Quam Verdi, or Vidiri, maybe, Vidiri, Esse Quam Vidiri, which means to be rather than to seem. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden, I put all this out there, my story, my experience, really for my own healing, right? And people start writing me like crazy. That day alone, I had like... 30 email messages. You just people you just broke up. All start saying again. The same, yep. uh, start again. I had how many messages? About 30 the first day. Okay. And these are all people that are hurting that have had very similar experiences to me. They yes. might be students, they might be alumni, they might be faculty. They their parents maybe were professors there and they're still hurting. There was a father that wrote about his daughter. Mm. So 30 people in one day. So the next day I woke up and one of the things I've learned about me in the, this last year is that my family is, my dad's family is from Bohemia. Bohemia is a small little province in Czech Republic and the Greeks brought Jesus to those people long ago. Yes. And the and the Bohemians were reformers. They were people that when the Catholics came in and said, hey, we're going to show you Catholicism, they said, uh-uh, that's not what Jesus, <laughs> that's not what Jesus taught us. Yes. And we're going to tell you what the truth is and we're going to hold our ground. Well, they held their ground so bad that they got cast into the wilderness. And that's why we call people that are wanderers bohemian. Yes. Okay. So that's, that's my a, culture. That's right? amazing. That's beautiful. Yeah. And so that's, so I'm part Hispanic, part bohemian. So all these people are coming. I'm getting these 30 stories to begin with. And I start to think, oh no, uh-uh. Like I'm asking for an apology now for everyone. I'm asking an apology for every gay kid, yes. every girl that wrote me and told me she was raped on campus and she reported it. You know, I've heard so many that? stories. I've heard so many what happened stories. To that? Every homosexual that was in the shower and sweet mates came in and hit them or called them fag. Jesus I'm Christ. asking for apologies for that. I'm asking for apologies for every gay ally. Mm-hmm. I'm asking for apologies for every gay kid that was on a soccer team and was shamed. Yes. I'm asking an apology for every professor that brought this stuff to light and they were pushed aside. Yes. I'm asking for every woman, for every Hispanic that came forward and said, hey, this is happening to me and no one listened. I'm asking for an apology to everyone that's hurt. And in the last five days, I have about 100 people that need to be apologized. Yes. And some of them are willing to bring their stories public. And some of them, it's too painful. And they just wanted someone to tell. Exactly. And I stayed up all night for about five days responding to people. I've written back every single person. And sometimes it takes me like hours to write them back because I have to process all their stories first. We have we have people that were really sick that were fired. 
that's wounding. That's Christian community. That's what being Montreat, the leader in Christian education is. That's I'm going to be a bohemian and say, uh-uh, that's Absolutely. not That's not what the Greeks said Jesus was, which we were the first people, right, to learn about yes. Christ from Bruce. That is not Christianity. And that's what I'm here saying. And, I, and mm. I'm, I've said it on Facebook every day. And I will tell a story every single day until I start seeing apologies. Absolutely. And, you know, my... And I should... Wait, let me yes, pause. Please. I, will only t- I will only tell stories of people that say it's okay. People that There have been people that have written me that said, I just want to tell you because I need someone to tell. I will not tell any of those stories. Absolutely. There are people that are publicly writing stories and I'm reposting that or saying I'm proud of them or those sort of things. So just to be clear on Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah. So you're really respecting confidentiality. And for anyone who's listening, I will also provide your email in the okay. description if yep. you're okay with that if you're okay yep, with people absolutely. oh yeah absolutely. okay great so so you know if you have a story that you really want to share with me or melissa i will put our emails in the description for this show and you know just as i'm listening to you talk it's really cathartic because when i was at montreat it was the worst time of my life it was by far the worst time of my life and you know i have some I have some horror stories from my time there that I won't get into now. But, you know, my recovery method has just been just look away and walk away that mm-hmm. and to just to, to just get as far away in time from that time in my life as possible. Right. And, you know, and so I've spent my 20s. I spent, you know, the latter half of my 20s doing just that. Just like just mm-hmm. get the fuck away. Just run yeah. out of that community and put as much time and space between myself and those memories as possible. Yeah. And that was really all I knew to do, honestly. Right. You know, I, I wrote about it some, but but there was this there was this um you know that this was in the late 2000s and early 2010 early 2010s and gay marriage wasn't legal yet right. there you know there were rumblings of gay equality but i didn't grow up with you know and of course i grew up with way more empowerment than the generations a- above me did but but still you know i i didn't grow up with this sense of empowerment or having a voice and the only thing i knew to do was to just put my head down and walk away and just put it in the past and so i'm i'm thinking that it might be time for me to tell some of those stories too and i think it would be great there's i i would love to tell one of your stories on my blog absolutely and yeah and so i think i might start start writing some of those and you know and so just listening to you talk it it's uh been really really cathartic and I think that there are a lot of other people across these institutions, not just at Montreat, but, you know, I hear I hear crazy bullshit like this from all kinds of institutions and churches and communities. And there are a lot of people who just feel incredibly powerless. And so people like you, I think you are incredibly brave and incredibly admirable to be doing what you're doing. Well, the really cool thing that happened was I also sent it out to all the Montreat staff and faculty yes. and the and the Montreat cabinet. So every single day as I post something, I would send it to all of them. And yeah. so I'm like, if I send it to everybody else, maybe everybody else will start apologizing. Yeah. Well, the cool thing is, is that this professor that had really wounded me over 20 years, he picked up the phone on Sunday at 12.30 p.m. and he called me. Wow. Now, now that takes some guts. Yeah. I have I have put his every <laughs> You have, you have run him over you have you'd have you've thrown him off the cliff more times than you can count. Justly I've, for I've, good reason too. He needed well, to be thirteen times. Thirteen times I had yes. met about this situation. And I had told nine people, like, I'm like, it's gotta stop, you know? Yes. And he called me and he said, you know, I know we've always been friends and I'm wondering if we can just talk about this. And I just laid into him. I was like, you made me feel like I wasn't a like like 
I was nothing, like I wasn't a scientist and I should just be home. And you made me feel like I should be ashamed of my culture. You made me feel like I should gain weight so you would stop commenting on my body, you know? And not only that, you did it to students. You did it in front of students. You did it to other faculty. I'm so angry at you. Mm. And he just wept and wept and wept. And Mm. he was just like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And he started telling me about his life and a lot of the things I had known because I had walked his journey with him. And I said, you know, I just don't understand because I spent a year trying to tell you, stop, I don't like this. And he didn't listen to me and I kept escalating it. And it's been another two years now and you just wouldn't listen. And now it's gone public. And, and now, now you've you're dropped calling the bomb publicly. Right. Yes. Yeah. And he was like, well, you know what I know? I know that you love me. Yeah. Because you wouldn't stop fighting for me. Absolutely. And you know what? Stephen, people in the world, they need us to fight for them. Say that, when they're making say that bad one more time. People you know, in the like world. If this, yeah. They need us to fight for them. You know, when they're yes. making bad decisions, like when you have the alcoholic brother, like, are you fighting for that person? Like, yes. you know, are you fighting for him? And he knew, this man knew that I loved him because I wouldn't let it go. I didn't deny it. I I didn't keep it in the dark. I kept saying, this is hurting people. And when you hurt people, it's also hurting yourself, right? Absolutely. And when we look at like, the funny thing is, is that all these people want to judge how I did this because they're like, why did it take her two and a half years to say anything? It's like, no, no, no. I was saying things for two and a half years. I was just saying things in an ordered way. And in the correct channels in which they should have gotten responses from. Correct. Yeah. And the funny thing is, is that Jesus is very clear on how we should handle offenses with our brother. That's true. Or sister. And the reason why he's clear on that is because he knows that we're going to offend one another because yes. we are not perfect people. Right. And that's one of the things I hated about Montreat is everybody acts like their shit doesn't stink. Like everybody asks, acts like they're perfect. And, and I don't think that we're perfect people. We're part sinner. We're part saint. We're fully human. Yes. You know, and like, Willie Nelson has this song. It's like, we're somewhere in-betweeners. Yes. Right? <laughs> we're the old, old in-betweeners, right? We're like not fully perfect, but we're not fully bad. Like we're somewhere yeah. in between. And so we are living like this. So this man knows that he has done, we've had, we were friends. We've had some really good moments together. We've had some really bad moments together, but I kept fighting for him and I kept fighting for him in a logical way. And I kept fighting him for him in the way that Jesus actually instructs and tells us to do it. And the very last step is to bring it to the public sphere. Yes. And because when you bring it to the public sphere, now everybody holds that person accountable to that behavior. Yes. You know, and and one of the things that just comes to mind as I'm listening to you talk about this is the way in which this is systemic. This the the abuse is systemic and we are often players in these structures of abuse in ways that we are not always aware of. So yeah. people can be racist, but more often than not, people can be racist, people can be sexist, people can be homophobic. Consciously certainly happens. Right. More often than not, we are entrapped in an abusive system that determines our thinking, that wires yeah. our programming, and it act and it and it's the the water we are swimming through. It is the air we breathe. And sometimes we perpetuate harm when we think that we are doing the exact opposite. And this is in no way to to take away the hurt or the culpability. That's not what this is at all. But yeah. what it does say is just how deeply ingrained systemic abuse and systemic supremacy is in our cultures and how people who think that they are very good and doing the right thing can be doing horrible monstrous things and not even doing that and not even realizing it i've done it i've done people have brought shit to my attention in which i have said and done horrific things when i and i was operating out of a patriarchal system or i was operating out of a homophobic system even though i myself am gay you know and yeah exactly and and that just everything you're saying is just bringing that to mind that this 
this is a structural thing. And because it's structural, we have to fight for everyone. Everyone is a victim of structural racism. Everyone is a victim of structural sexism and supremacy, even those who are perpetuating it. Well, a good example of that is I was in Boston and I was telling my friend Rihanna about some of my friends in the Caribbean. And we have different cultures here in the Caribbean. And one of the cultures is West Indian. And my West Indian friends like to be called black. And they call each other black. And it's offensive if you don't call it them like yeah. black. So so I said, well, one of my black friends, and she stopped me for a minute. And she goes, why did you just call her one of your black friends? And I said, well, that's because what she calls herself. And she's like, well, isn't she African-American? I was like, very interesting. <laughs> she would not call herself African-American because that's offensive because Africa reminds them of slavery here. Right. On my island. Now, my island is a very small island of 3,000 people. So I might go to a different island and it might be totally different. But it was so good That's of my friend. It was so good of my friend in that moment to be like, why are you calling her black? That's offensive. Because in Boston, that would be offensive. Can right? I can I point out one other little thing? And I promise it's not a big deal. And I was actually going to do this after we finished recording. But since we've yeah. since we've brought it up, so you so you use the word homosexual quite a bit. Yeah. So the word homosexual to the gay community is often very related to like uh, shock therapy and the medicalization oh. of homosexuality in America during the 60s. And the, yes, in, in like the psych psychiatry world where gay people were like literally tortured. And so when we hear people say the word homosexual, it's not often a positive thing. So just a heads up. So, so that's really interesting, Stephen. So you would say gay or lesbian? Gay or, or, or LGBTQ, LGBTQ. LGBTQ. So you would add the or other. Queer. Or queer. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, yeah. cool. So just Thanks so for teaching me. Yes. No, I, but that's what we need. Like, exactly. This is the conversations we need and because that, yes, no one precisely. wants to offend people. You know what I mean? Well, also, but it isn't personal. And, and that's right. the thing. And, and you know, I can, un, you know, you didn't take that personally at all. But I know so many people yeah. who, who flip the fuck out when I'm like, yeah. you know what? I know I know you call your best friend the F word all the time, but right. you're straight and that's really not okay. And right. I want you to stop doing that around me. Right. <laughs> and they right. and they flip the fuck out. Yeah. Right. Well, and that's even like the thing with like being gender fluid or gender neutral. Yeah. And, I, you know, I stopped myself because I was starting to say they don't know what they are, but I'm like, but they do. They they're gender neutral. Exactly. They're gender, they're gender fluid. fluid. <laughs> like, and, that's what they are. Like, you know. And it's okay and so that we have these like stumbles. That. It's okay yeah. that we have these. It's okay that we are in this learning process together. And I think that's the beautiful thing about yeah. being in this multicultural world, being in this cosmopolitan world that we are inevitably, you know, going towards whether we like it or not. Right. And and we can either learn to embrace that and learn from each other or not. Yeah. I will right. say be be a bit careful with queer because my generation doesn't mind it, but older generations do. And so Okay. And so for younger for younger like I call myself queer all the time. People are queer has become an identity, but only really for people like under the age of like 45. <laughs> and then yeah. and then when you get over that age, it's a horribly offensive term because that's how they were bullied in school, yeah. right? Yeah, right. And so it's it's queer. complicated. So LGBT yeah. gay is is pretty safe. Yeah. I like but that. But anyway, oh, just thank you, I just okay. thought I was going to let right. you know. No, that's um, great. So I guess where we're at is this person apologized to me. Yes. Which is amazing. That is amazing. And then one of my so then I posted he apologized and I wrote down everything I had done over the last two and a half years and now he apologized and I wrote and I forgive him. And because I really do. Of course. I, I've checked in with him the last two days to make sure he's okay. I haven't heard much back, but I really forgive him. And then some people are worried on Facebook that that ends the me asking for apologies. And it doesn't. I am continually asking for apologies for my gay friends, my gay ally friends, my Hispanic friends, my um, anyone that was offended, <laughs> which is a lot of people. It's around 100 people. And I continue and professors that left. And I'm asking for those apologies to come from the administration. And if they can't come from the administration, they need to come from the board. Yes. Or they need to come from other professors. And once again, they they need to come quickly. Because we have people out there that are hurting. Yes. And one of the things that was really cool that happened was that the old president of the college and his wife, and they called me and they emailed me. These are not people that are currently at Montreat College. Yes. These are people that were there when I was younger. Yes. And that they would call and say, I'm so sorry that we didn't know that this was happening to you. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. That says a lot about them as leaders. It says a lot about them, and it says, and it is not a good statement about the people who are currently there under which this abuse happened. Yeah. Currently, yeah. They didn't have to do that. They have no. They they didn't have to do that. Yeah. I've heard from one faculty member that that is a friend of mine that wrote me, and I've heard from one faculty member that's brand new that's been getting my emails and reached out and said, "Hey, I'd love to talk to you if you need someone to talk with." I don't need anybody to talk with. I've gone through my healing. Yes. Like that's the thing. It's like, and this. Oh, that's the other really funny thing about this is the only people that have seemingly been offended by me bringing out the truth everywhere is the Montre alumni group, which has like about. 10 active members on it and one guy (laughs) from black mountain and both of them have been like why did she come out now like who does she think she is does she have any facts does she have any evidence and so i started a google drive with all the facts you know i told you i saw that i saw that (laughs) and you just down you dumped it onto all the forms it was great yes yeah so I'm like, here's your facts, people. And not only that, this person apologized. Yes. Acknowledging that it happened. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel like this story is far from over. And yeah. if ever you want to come back on, just let me know. You're an extraordinary sure. person. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Also, let's definitely do a show at some point about ecosystems yeah. and climate change and preserving the amazing diversity that we have. Let's definitely do that. Let's um, do it. And let's give one last little advice to your listeners. Can I yes, do that? Yes, please. For sure. So when somebody comes to you with their pain and their harassment and discrimination, you need to look them in the eyes and say, what the fuck? Yes, right? precisely. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And let the healing begin. And let the healing begin. And so, and by the way, if you need someone to look you in the eyes and say, what the fuck? That's evil. Yes. I'm here. Mel is here. I'm here. I will... I am always available. Mel is available. So I will put our contact information, our emails in the show notes for this episode. If ever you want to share your story with me publicly on this show, this platform is available for that. But most importantly, you are always welcome to email me for whatever reason, as well as Mel. And uh, just if you need someone to listen, if you need someone to hear your story, we're here. All right. Well, I think this is a a great place to end. It has been so lovely talking to you as always. And hopefully we can do this again soon. Sounds great. Bye, Stephen. Bye. Well, that was my conversation with Melissa Wilson. She is an incredible person. Please go check out The Eco Theologist, her blog. I will provide links in the show notes. And please go send her some love and support her work. As usual, the show is only possible with your support by going to patreon.com forward slash Stephen Bradford Long. And for a dollar a month or five dollars a month, you will get extra content every week. Also, special thanks goes out to my team, Josh Black. Newest addition to our team, Josh Black. He is editing some of the shows here. And to Justin Dozier Bryant, who does all of the visuals for the show. And he is a co-host of House of Heretics on Patreon. And as usual, thanks for listening.